If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 510. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. You can also go to brianmclanahan.com. Click on that support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can buy a book plate if you would like. My autograph on one of my books. I've got a lot of those. My recent, uh, The Jeffersonian Tradition is great. Southern Scribblings, which came out last year, is great. And of course, now with the topic we're talking about today, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, it's great. We need to add a tenth of that for Mr. Joe Biden. But that's a great way to support the show. Get one of the books, get a book plate, click on that shop tab, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Another great way to support the show. As always, share the podcast around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. And we've got a really interesting week this week. Um, there's a lot, I mean, look, a lot of stuff happened last week. So there's so many things I could talk about here, but... We're going to talk about the Lee statue coming down this week. We're going to talk about Joe Biden's unconstitutional edict. We're going, to, we're going to discuss that. We're also going to look at some other interesting cultural topics this week. Uh, some things that I find fascinating. One of them, of course, is the new trigger warning that we've got on the U.S. Constitution from the National Archives. And how that works. But we've got so many co- great things to talk about. I want to start this week, though, talking about Joe Biden and the speech that he just gave uh, last Thursday, which essentially directed OSHA, OSHA, which is a federal regulatory agency, now to issue a mandate that if you're not vaccinated, um, you could, in 75 days, I mean, look, you could be fired. Now, you can also submit to weekly testing if you would like. And this is, with com- this is for companies with over 100 employees. So this affects about 80 million American workers. A lot of people. We know 200 million Americans have have already received uh, at least one shot of the vaccine, I believe. I don't know if the exact number is one shot. I think that's what it is. One shot of the vaccine. About 200 million people. There's That means two-thirds or so of the United States population has had at least one dose of the vaccine. And, of course, you've got the leftists running around talking about how Washington, you know, ordered his army to be vaccinated and we've we prevented diseases from vaccines. Let me say this and I'm just going to remark about vaccines and this vaccine. Full disclosure, I'm fully vaccinated. I took the vaccine. I think that it's uh, the decision I made was based on if it can prevent uh, a a uh, severe case of COVID, I was willing to take the chance. I know it's an experimental vaccine. A lot of people are opposed to it because it's an experimental vaccine and I get that. I understand all of these things. Uh, we don't have enough data for younger people to be taking the vaccine. That is, uh, that is something that uh, we have to question about, you know, if children. We know that the cases 
COVID uh, is not, I mean, it can cause fatal uh, illness in young people, but we know it's a very rare situation. Same thing with the flu or a lot of other uh, nasty viruses as well. But so that, that data is out there, right? So we, we know that the, the vaccine does help prevent uh, severe cases of COVID. Not 100% of the time. People still get severe cases of COVID when they do have the vaccine. But I've gotten the vaccine, and I would encourage others who want to, to uh, avoid a severe case of COVID to do the same. I think the evidence is there that it does most of the time help in that way. And I've had many friends people that I know who have come down with COVID, those that have been vaccinated and unvaccinated, people that have been vaccinated haven't really had much of an illness at all, people that haven't have faced a pretty severe case of the disease, uh, others haven't. I mean, so it's it, it really depends on your on your body, but I've also known people who have died from, from COVID. So this is, and I said this back in January of 2020, you can go back to the archives and you can find where I talk about this particular virus and how it seems to be pretty nasty and people should be cautious. Uh, when it gets into things like mask mandates or wearing a mask, or we'll just say this, wearing a mask, that's again a personal choice. If you believe that's going to help prevent you from getting ill, wear a mask. Uh, back uh, in 2009 when we had the swine flu outbreak, I had a, a friend of mine who was 30 years old, died of swine flu. And uh, tragic. Um, so at that particular point, I made a decision to wear gloves and do some things where I could to try to prevent getting, uh, being in contact with that and being in close contact with people that were ill. That's the best way to prevent the, the virus anyways, is to, uh, try, to be, uh, try to avoid people who are ill. And of course, if you are ill, to stay home and, and try to uh, avoid going out in public areas where you could infect other people. So that's my full disclosure on this. I think that you should get the vaccine, um, and but that's a personal decision. Now, when it comes down to mandates, though, that's where a lot of people will draw the line. And I think that's really where this question comes up. Now, I will say this from the beginning. The vaccine mandate or mandating from the general government using OSHA to mandate vaccines is 100% unconstitutional. And I know legal scholars, and I like to check leftist Twitter, because leftist Twitter is hilarious most of the time. And you try to find things out there that would support, you know, whatever, where they're, where they're coming from, right? I try to understand where the left is coming from. And uh, you have people like Ian Milheiser, who was a legal scholar on leftist Twitter. And uh, one of the questions he asks is, where is Biden getting the statutory, uh, statutory authority to do this? And of course, people immediately pointed out OSHA. So he's going through OSHA. So just like with the eviction moratorium with the CDC. He was going through a regulatory agency, or in that case, it didn't even have any regulatory authority, the CDC, but he's going through a bureaucratic environment to get something done that he wants done. Now, of course, this is the same Joe Biden that stood up and said, I have no authority to have a vaccine or face mask mandate. The general government does not have that authority. And he was 100% right about that when he said it, and now, of course, he's backtrack on that, probably got some one, one legal scholar to say, oh, yeah, you can do it through OSHA. And I want to talk more about that than about the constitutionality of it. We, look, this case is going, to be, this is going to be challenged very quickly, and I'm almost certain that a federal court will knock it down. I'm almost certain that the federal courts will come in and say, you have no authority to do this. Now, the states, the states are a whole other monster. Right? As long as it doesn't violate the state constitution, the states can do a lot of things the general government cannot. 
This is how federalism works. And we're seeing that across the United States. We're seeing states that have been relatively open. We're seeing states that have been relatively draconian in their response to the coronavirus. And the beautiful thing about that is that you can pick and choose to live in a state you want to live in that better reflects what you think society should do. Uh, there is a, uh, a very influential libertarian who has decided that I know to move to Texas because from New York to Texas because it was better, right? I mean, living in Texas was better than living in New York. Even if uh, you go to parts of Texas that aren't necessarily really that conservative or really that open to, uh, to freedom, but he decided to do that. I also have another uh, friend who is very much in the liberty movement but lives in California and loves it and loves it, would just rather live in California than anywhere else because he loves the climate, loves the place. He just loves it. Okay, so you choose to live in that environment. You can pick and choose where you want to live in the United States. And this, if, if federalism really worked, this would be the beauty of it all. You can live in Texas if you want to live in a much more, quote-unquote, red state. Or if you want to live in a blue state, quote-unquote, you can go live in California or Massachusetts. And that's the beauty of localism and federalism. And you can influence that. You can, you can make that. We're going to talk about that with the Lee statue and about this idea of New Virginia. I'm going to get into this. Okay, so but this is what federalism does. But I've noticed when it comes to this idea of what is liberty and what is the Constitution. That's more of what I want to talk about in this particular discussion of Joe Biden's unconstitutional uh, edict. Now, now, he would say it's legal. And essentially what's happening here is that you have, and it's also, he would say this is in favor of liberty. What you have happening, and I've had this discussion before on this podcast, you have different versions of American liberty that are conflicting with each other all the time. And that was the case even going back to the 17th century. The left, and I've said this before, are generally political Puritans. And what I mean by that is they have a concept of liberty that is alien to what you might, what those on the right would view as liberty. The concept of liberty for those on the left, the political Puritans, and these people are Puritans. They are Puritans just as they were in Massachusetts in 1635. They may not think they are because maybe they're not Christians, maybe they are, maybe they're atheists, maybe they're Muslims, maybe they're, they're, they're just not Christians, or they're just secularists, whatever it is. I mean, whatever, whatever you want to say about it, they're, they're not Puritan Christians. They would, they would reject the idea of that they're, that they're uh, part of the Bible Belt or uh, that they're evangelicals. They're going to reject all of that. They're not any of that. But they are Puritans because of the way they view the world. And I've, and I've pointed this out time and time again. This is how they do it. They view the world through the lens of community liberty. The liberty of the community over individual liberty. That's more important to them than anything else. And the Puritans also believed that the higher you were in the community, the less and less this concept of restriction applied to you. In other words, community leaders in, Puritan, in the Puritan society were generally hypocrites. They could avoid. It was almost like the old idea, the Catholic idea of dispensations. You could avoid doing all the things you were supposed to do if you just paid off the right people and you didn't have to go out and follow all the rules. And so this, of course, ultimately helped lead to the Protestant Reformation. Other things too, simony and, 
and uh, indulgences, all of that stuff in the, that were seen as corruption in the Catholic Church. And then, of course, this dispensation, this idea of release from your obligations to the religion that you swore to uh, defend and expand, right? So if you're a minister and you're a priest, a priest in the Catholic Church, you should follow all the, all the dogma of the church, all the rules and requirements of the church. And we know people weren't doing that. Heck, the Pope wasn't even doing that. The Borgia Pope, for example, uh, had children and mistresses and everything else. So, I mean, this was not followed, and it was seen as corrupt. All the laymen, all the people out there that had to follow the church and do the right thing, but the, the clergy could do whatever they wanted. And you generally had this in Puritan society, too. Now, not everyone followed this. But you had certain individuals in Puritan society that were essentially above the law. They were above the rules of the church because of who they were. And we know the left believes this is them. Right? We know we've got image, we've got video of these things. We have documented cases where the left will run around and say, you can't leave the state of Michigan, but I'm going to leave the state of Michigan right after I give this speech. I'm going to Florida. We know the political class avoids their own rules and regulations all the time. We've got Nancy Pelosi on camera going into a hair salon when all those were supposed to be shut down in California, but yet she could go do it in California. We know this happens. We know Gavin Newsom has done this. This is why Gavin Newsom is on recall, and I'm going to talk about this that this week with Larry Elder, which I think is just fascinating, some of the things happening with Larry Elder. So you've got, you've got the political class above the law. The other thing that they will do is use very interesting language. And I want to go to a tweet. And, I mean, what's really funny about Twitter, right? I mean, it's... Um, Twitter, if you go out and read a lot of news stories now, it's based almost entirely on Twitter, right? Almost entirely on Twitter. Uh, the Twitter, um, the Twitter, somebody said this on Twitter. Somebody said this on Twitter. And this is from Ian Bremmer. Ian Bremmer, um, just to give you an idea, Ian Bremmer is a pretty important columnist. I mean, look, he's got half a million followers on Twitter. Um, and I mean, he's a leftist. Uh, and he wrote this. A vaccine mandate is about freedom. Freedom to go to work. Freedom to go to school. Freedom to live a healthy life. And so think about what he just said there. This is about freedom. A vaccine, a mandate, a government-imposed mandate is about freedom. So heavy-handed government policy is actually about freedom. But this is how the left thinks. You see, the Puritans would say the same thing. Canceling Christmas is about freedom. Canceling music and plays and dancing is about freedom. Freedom from these influences that are dangerous for people. Freedom from those things. It's freedom from not freedom to. Freedom from not freedom to. So it's freedom from fear. This is Franklin Roosevelt. This is this is the basis of the political leftist Puritan ideology. And that's what it is. It's an ideology. There's, 
they're they're avoiding the entire legal question because they they know they really don't have a leg to stand on in this particular case. They know that where they are with this is, I mean, it's going to be knocked down. They know it. So what they're trying to do is sell it in a way that would create an environment where this would be acceptable. And of course, on uh, the the responses to this are absolutely hilarious. Um, people said, you know, doing all these things in Florida just fine without mandates. No thanks. And people are remarking that this particular type of freedom, of freedom, is the antithesis of what other Americans think about freedom. Even if you, right now we all have the freedom to go to work, we have the freedom to go to school, we have a freedom to live a healthy life, we can do all those things without a vaccine mandate. But you see, they're selling it because these people believe they're, they're afraid. And so they believe that if we just do this one thing, if government does this, people will have more freedom. If government institutes all of these policies and programs and all of these rules and regulations, we're going to have more freedom. And of course, other people quickly pointed out, this is right out of George Orwell's 1984. Right out of George Orwell's 1984. War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. Now, the other thing I want to point out with this and where this where we're going with this. So we have this concept of liberty, the freedom from fear. This is what this is what Ian Bremmer is. He's afraid. So this gives him freedom because no longer is he afraid. Of course, the question is, if uh, you know, why do people with if you have the vaccine? I mean, does that mean the vaccine doesn't work? I mean, people are asking these questions. If, if, if we have to mandate everyone gets the vaccine, so does that mean the vaccine really doesn't work? Or, you know, what, what, the, what, is, what is the situation there? But we have this concept of freedom. But on the other side of that, then the legal side, they understand that perhaps the written constitution would work to their detriment. So I saw this flyer for, uh, this is a Constitution Day event sponsored by the Institute for Tom Paine, Thomas Paine Studies. I think it's the Institute for Thomas Paine Studies, I think is what it is. And the title of this particular presentation is Legacies of the Constitution. And the distinguished panel that they've invited are a bunch of people that uh, some of them have uh, legal degrees. Also, all of them have PhDs in history. Um, But this would not be a rousing group of legal scholars. They've written on law, but it's things like, um, you know, modern... Uh, or, or uh, slave catchers or things like that, right? So they, they haven't really written on a whole lot that would apply to an original understanding of the Constitution. In fact, I would say that most of these people probably don't even know what that means, okay? Or if they do, they have a very distorted vision of what that means based on what they've read. Other people have said it means. And so these are a bunch of leftists, right? I mean, this is what we've got. But I, the fine print of this was pretty interesting, It says, the last several years have highlighted how much of our political system isn't written down, but invented, I'm sorry, but instead, I'm sorry, instead governed by norm and custom. The language is a little blurry here. The the flyer is, it's hard to see. 
but instead governed by norm and custom. The last several years have highlighted how much of our political system is written down. Now, of course, they're looking here more at Trump. They think they're pointing to Trump. They really do think they're pointing to Trump here. This is Trump. This is Trump. This is President Trump that's created an environment where we know our Constitution and our laws aren't written down. This is the law. I mean, we've got Trump. This guy's running around doing all this bad stuff. This event will explore the limitations of the written Constitution, how it continued to evolve in the early republic, and the lasting legacies of that Constitution, or evolution, I should say, today. Again, very it's very blurry. So let me read this again. The last several years have highlighted how much of our political system isn't written down, but instead governed by norm and custom. This event will explore the limitations of the written constitutions, how it continued to evolve in the early republic, and, and the lasting legacies of that evolution today. So let me, let me say this, and I've said this before, and if you take my American Constitutions class at McLeanahan Academy, I get into this. I get into this. This is one of the main reasons why you should take that class. Or my Originalist Paper series, which explains what the Constitution really was supposed to do from the men who wrote it and ratified it. Uh, the ratifiers are more important, and not just Hamilton and Madison, but all of the individuals involved in the ratification process. And so when you look at what they're saying here, is we, we have a written Constitution. This is true. We have a written constitution for the United States of America. We also have state constitutions, which are written down. And this is purely an American creation in many ways. I mean, you could say that there might have been some written constitutions in, in Greece. We don't know this, right? The, one of the, the most famous constitution that was limiting power, creating a balanced government, the Spartan constitution of Lycurgus, some people conjecture that that wasn't even real. This was something that was made up. We know most constitutions were, in fact, up until about 1688, we really didn't have a written declaration of rights. We had the Magna Charta in 1215, which was also written down. So this idea of writing things down becomes more permanent. This is a, this is a, a creation of the Anglo-American tradition, but even to this day, the British constitution is unwritten. It's based on norm and custom. Custom and precedent. That's the basis of the British Constitution. The Parliament can pass a law, and at that point, the courts in Great Britain can decide whether it's constitutional or not. And that stands. That's not what we have here in the United States, at least not by design. We have a written Constitution. When the Congress would go in and debate, or the states, state legislatures would go and debate a law, they have to look at the restraints of the written document before they can even do it. That was the whole point. The Constitution was there to say, these are the things you can do, and that's it. These are the only things you're allowed to do. James Wilson of Pennsylvania argued that position. And he was a nationalist. He was someone who believed in expansive powers for the general government. He didn't get it. Now, of course, a Supreme Court justice, he's going to uh, rule in that direction. And I think in many ways he was lying when he told people this. But regardless... These are the promises that he made. So what we have now in America, and this is what Joe Biden is banking on, the unwritten Constitution. The unwritten Constitution would allow him to direct OSHA to do whatever OSHA wants to do, or would allow him to direct the CDC to do whatever the CDC wants to do. 
You see, with no written constitution, these things just become normal. With no written constitution, the president has virtually unlimited powers. This is really what the left is after. And I think that's the important legacy, the important thing to take away from this. As we're looking at this today, and of course the language is, oh my gosh, I mean, this is going to lead to this is going to lead to secession. This is people are going to get out of the union because of this. And maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe we're going to have more and more of discussion of this as we start seeing America polarize around these things, around mandates, government mandates for, for vaccines or masks or whatever it is. Right? Maybe people are going to do that. I, I I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's a lot of bluff and bluster here. But regardless, uh, maybe some people decide they're going to they're going to think about that. I think it, people have, have brought up, you know, uh, secession. I think the only way it ever happens is some state like California pulls it off. It'll never happen in the South. New England could do it. California could do it. But the South could never do it because there's always going to be that lingering legacy there. And it'll always be portrayed as being for something insidious. And so California, though, which has never done anything wrong, allegedly, could get out of the United States and people would just be like, hey, cool. California's out. Yeah, I mean, if the lefties do it, it's okay. It's just like with uh, you know things like uh, um, uh, gun sanctuary cities. Well, I mean, that's bad, but uh, marijuana sanctuary cities are okay. Right? I mean, so this is this is the double standard we have in America. But the fact is, what we're operating on, and this is why this is important, we've got an unwritten constitution that's directing much of what the federal government does now. They don't care about the written constitution. We can argue till we're blue in the face. This is unconstitutional. And the federal courts, because they're controlled by more Republicans, even though the Republican Party is, highly, party is highly problematic, and we know the Supreme Court. If you put your faith in the Supreme Court, you're doomed. We know that it right now, at least it made the right decision. It's made some right decisions. I've had two podcasts recently. It's made the right decisions a couple of times. I think in this case, based on what they did before, they're going to say, yeah, this is unconstitutional. Now, can Biden mandate this for federal employees? Maybe. But the Congress, as, as Thomas Massey has pointed out, the Congress is the one who should be doing this. Because that's who has the authority to do it, even I mean, for the federal government, directing the federal government. Uh, I don't think that Biden has the authority either for federal employees. But regardless, this is where we are. We've got an unwritten constitution. We've got a written constitution. And they're in conflict. And I think this little thing, I mean, I could, I could pick on the, the, the speakers and who they are. And, uh, and this is kind of silly because most of them are silly. But the fact is... Um, they're pointing something out that's, and they're, I'm sure, and I don't know, I don't know what they're going to say about it. I, I don't, I don't have that information with me, but I'm sure they're going to say that. Well, the Constitution was evolving. And I said the Constitution was evolving. Even the early Republic, it's evolving. Well, that's in violation of what they promised it would do in 1788. It wasn't supposed to evolve. This was it. This is what it was supposed to do. This is what. This is how they sold it to the states. And, of course, because they sold it to the states based on that, this is the promise that was made, and this is the Constitution they should adhere to. But they, we know they don't do that. So this is the issue and what it comes down to. But we've got two groups now. We have a group that believes in the liberty of the, of the individual. We've got a group that believes in the liberty of the community. And those, those conceptions of liberty will always be in conflict. And I think when you look at America in cultural terms, and this is important, it's not just poli politics is a reflection of culture. 
We have incompatible things in the United States. We've always had incompatible things in the United States. That's what led to a great big war in 1861. We had incompatible things. All of these other issues are just based on these incompatible things. And so this is what Governor Morris pointed out in 1787 in the early days of the Federal Convention, the Philadelphia Convention, when he said, hey, look, if we really have incompatible things now, let's just separate. Let's just get out. We'll, We'll break this union up now because it's never going to work. And, of course, the founding generation fearing disunion at that point, they feared it because they thought, oh, my gosh, this is, this is Randolph of Virginia. This is Governor Randolph of Virginia, Edmund Randolph, saying, if we, if we separate, Virginia can't go alone. He supported the Constitution, not because he thought it was a good document. In fact, he said he didn't, but he supported it because he supported the Union. This is what we got to do to keep the Union together. So he made a choice. Union over good government. Union over liberty. Calhoun would say, liberty over union. So what kind of liberty are we talking about? And how should we look at liberty? And these are, these are now the questions we're facing again in 2021. What kind of liberty do we want? This is based on culture. And now you've started to see this mixing. I mean, we don't really have defined States anymore. We know, you know there's parts of Virginia that are one way and parts of Virginia the other way. The parts of Virginia that are anti-individual liberty and anti-traditional America are now running the show. We know there's parts of Virginia that don't believe in that. We know there's parts of Georgia that are not really that Georgian in the way they view the world. Or even in Alabama or Mississippi. We know there's parts of California that are much more conservative than other parts of California. We're seeing a lot of mixing now going on. And how do we have these political subdivisions of states and how do we make all that work? Well, again, you've got states that are, in fact, too big today. This is, this is true. You've got states that are too big and don't really represent the constituents of that state any longer the political community. So this is where thinking locally and acting locally gets involved here. We know what that can do. We've seen it, negative side of it, in Virginia. We're going to talk about that this week. We've also seen positives where the community has said, said, okay, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, in favor of individual liberty. We've also seen people that believe in, in mandates and other things, they can get that in their community too. This is what it comes down to. It's imperialism. We're looking at cultural imperialism. And a loose construction or an implied power or, you know, custom and precedent, an unwritten model of the Constitution, which is the Congress passes laws and the courts decide. That's the British model. That's not what we have. That fosters this political puritanism that we we don't want, right? Most, I would say at least half the American population doesn't want that. Probably more than half. But we don't want it. You see, we have to expose, we have to shine the light on what this is and expose it for the totalitarians these people really are. They are totalitarian political Puritans. They don't want you to have your air conditioning. They don't want you to have your steak. They want you to, they want to force you to get your vaccine or wear your mask, whatever it is. I believe, I mean, these are choices. You should get the vaccine, in my opinion. That's my opinion, though. You do what you want. Um, so... I mean, this is this is where you know we have this these disconnects in America with these things, and I just wanted to point that out. This is the legal issue. Biden's edict is unconstitutional. OSHA's actions are unconstitutional, as according to the written Constitution. But the left would respond with the unwritten model, and that's where they're going to take this. 
And they're going to take it from a political Puritan standpoint. Okay, so that's my position on Biden and his new edict. I'll see you tomorrow for the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.